As the war in Ukraine grinds on, Russia is ramping up its military spending. A new report reveals Moscow has doubled its defense spending for this year so far. Claire Sebastian has the details. In Russia today, military production is sacred. Russia's main tank factory showing off its latest shipment and a choreographed glimpse into the strain of wartime production. Output here has more than tripled over the last year, according to Russia's prime minister. What we have seen is that uh, military spending um, has been much higher uh, than was actually planned for this year. And it looks like that uh, the spending that was planned for this year is already exhausted now that we are halfway through the year. The Russian budget had earmarked roughly $50 billion for defense. A budget document seen this month by Reuters suggests Russia has now more than doubled that estimate. Experts say it could be even higher. It looks as though, as a, expressed as a percentage of GDP, it could be anywhere between 8 and 10% of GDP. So if we think as a proportion of GDP, it could be have almost tripled. Are you surprised in any way by this? No, is the honest answer. President Putin was very clear. There are, he said last December, no limits to military funding. And yet, as Russia's annual weapons exhibition got underway this month, the Teflon had started to come off its wartime economy. Military spending helping fuel a resurgence in inflation and a plummeting ruble, prompting an emergency rate rise from the central bank and putting even the most loyal Russians on edge. Sanctions and lower prices also sent Russia's vital oil and gas revenues plummeting in the first half of this year. But prices have been recovering over the summer. Russia is still earning a huge amount of dollars in yuan and euros by exporting energy and other resources. And it is going to earn these dollars also in the future because, you know, as we have learned, we cannot easily push Russia out of the oil market. There is, though, another challenge facing Russia's weapons industry. Do you like playing basketball, asks this recruitment video for the Kazan helicopter plant. The CEO of its parent company recently told Putin they need to fill 23,000 jobs this year. Wages are already up 17%. This is a very tight labor force for a number of demographic reasons, but also to do with since the war, a lot of people have left the country. Um, some people have been mobilized. Sanctions have also disrupted supplies of high-tech components for weapons, experts say raising costs even further. And yet the Kremlin has found a way to justify this, a war with the West. The Western elite make no secret of their goal, which is, I quote, Russia's strategic defeat. So the Russian population are being presented with that view, so they're being prepped, they're being prepared and shaped to expect that they're maybe going to have to spend more money to take more of a hit on living standards, to fight against such a powerful adversary. A fight now happening on the front lines and in the factories. Sebastian, CNN, London. After days of uncertainty, Russia says it has confirmed that Yevgeny Prigozhin was among the 10 people killed in last week's plane crash. Russian investigators say genetic tests confirm the identity of the Wagner chief and all other victims. Prigozhin, who led a failed uprising against the Kremlin, had previously been named as one of those on board the plane, which crashed north of Moscow. But until now, authorities had stopped short of confirming that he died.
Uh, Salma is here right now. I mean, we were expecting this news, weren't we? But, um, I mean, in terms of exactly what happened, we're getting all our information from the Russian authorities. And that's what's important to remember here. This is a Russian-backed investigation carried out by Russian investigators on Russian soil. So the question mark is, can they really do their job independently? Can they do their job without interference? I think if you ask any Western intelligence official, they'll probably tell you, no, we don't believe that they can. And that's why there's been so much finger-pointing at the Kremlin, at President Putin himself, for being involved in the crash. Of course, the Kremlin has denied, denied, denied this, said any accusations, of involvement in that plane crash is an absolute lie. But so brings the end of the speculation as to who exactly was on board the plane. Evgeny Prigozhin, uh, several of his top aides as well on that flight. Russia's investigative committee continues to dig into the cause of the flight. But the other question mark is, now what happens to the Wagner mercenary group, the group he led that was very much centered around his personhood, around his character? So how does it survive without him? It's difficult to imagine that it would. And already Russia had been taking steps before even the death of Prigozhin to co-opt, absorb these mercenaries into the regular army. And President Putin, just a couple of days ago, now announcing yet another decree requiring all voluntary formations, that was the term used essentially meaning mercenary groups, to pledge allegiance to the Russian flag, to essentially fall under the Russian Ministry of Defense. So you're seeing steps being taken here to make sure that this is consolidated, centered, all of these military forces under President Putin himself to avoid potentially in the future something similar to this. The question is what happens on the battlefield in Ukraine. Can Russia's Ministry of Defense, which had been highly criticized for its performance, for its lack of manpower, for its lack of weaponry, can it on its own, without the support of independent contractors like Evgeny Prigozhin, carry out what is needed on that mm. battlefield? Okay, Salma, thank you so much.